And the truth is, we're all broken, uh, all of us, and all of us are yearning and wanting and longing for acceptance and, uh, and meaning and significance, and that's, that's really what we've been on this journey together through Filters, this sermon series, this talk series, has been about how we uh, use certain filters in our own life, the way we view ourselves, view others, view our circumstances. We use these different filters in order to cope with things we can't control or cope with uh, circumstances that have gone bad, cope with things that have been done to us or things that we have done in our past, uh, cope with circumstances that uh, we don't really like. We, we have these filters that we use to cope with those circumstances and, and situations and past and, and, and uncertainties. Uh, and it's not that those filters are necessarily bad. It's just that they, they don't deliver. They, they cannot give us what we need, which is significance. And these filters are built upon the idea that uh, I, my significance is dependent upon what I do or how well I do uh, or how poorly I do, but my significance is dependent upon on what I do and what others think or say about me. And the challenge with that kind of formula is uh, if someone thinks badly of me, then, then I, my significance is shot. And if, if I don't hit, uh, you know, bad a thousand, if, I, if there's any point at which I, I strike out or I fail to get on base, then my significance is shot. And for many of us, that's exactly the way we've been living our life. And, and it leads to all kinds of crazy places in life. It, it leads us to behave in a crazy way in life. Uh, in fact, uh, for, for many of us here today, the reason your behavior is so irrational or the reason your behavior is so out of line with, with your core convictions as a follower of Christ, so you, the way you behave does not match what you really do believe as a follower of Christ, the reason your, your core convictions and, and your behavior are so out of whack is because you're following after some of these, well, these false faulty filters. And, and so we've been on this journey together trying to discover uh, what God has for us that is better than these faulty filters um, and this faulty formula. And, and so we've looked at, at really some deep theological concepts, although I haven't used those terms primarily, uh, these deep theological concepts looking at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, God has made us right in his sight. God has accepted us into his family. God has demonstrated his love. And God has sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sin. And those theological concepts give us a new filter through which we can look at ourselves and, and our circumstances and life. And th those gospel filters is really what, kind of what I've called it. But these gospel filters... Uh, first one says, I am fully forgiven and perfectly pleasing to God because of Jesus Christ. When I'm in Christ, when I, when, because I'm in relationship with Jesus, at that moment, Jesus gives me his righteousness so that I am perfectly pleasing and fully forgiven to God. And regardless of what happens after that or what has happened before that, because I'm in Christ, I am fully forgiven and perfectly pleasing to God. 
Uh, the second filter that we looked at, the gospel filter, said that because Jesus has given us his acceptance, uh, then, then I am absolutely accepted by God. Absolutely accepted by God. God has, uh, has, has embraced me into his family. He has accepted me, accepted me absolutely because of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and then we looked at, at the idea that not only has God forgiven me, and not only am I perfectly pleasing to him, not only am I absolutely accepted, but, but then we looked at how that because Jesus took my punishment for my sin, and I, through faith, trusted him, in that moment, I, uh, I no longer had to fear punishment or try to punish others for the mistakes they made. How many of y'all have made mistakes? Both hands. That was the way it was at the earlier hour. Uh, otherwise known as sin, we all have. And, and, and because of our sin, we deserve punishment. But God in his grace, because he loves us so much, he sent Jesus to take my punishment for me. So I no longer have to fear punishment. The beautiful story for us is not that we somehow have made up for the sin in our life or the, uh, somehow... Uh, made up for the mistakes we've made, but, but the beauty of the gospel is that I don't have to try to earn forgiveness. It's been given to me because God has loved me so deeply. Um, and, and so even when I fail, I know that I am deeply loved by God. Um, last week, we looked at the filter that, the gospel filter that said, the, the, the faulty view said that I am what I am and I cannot change and, and everything's hopeless. And some of us all of us, we get into that glass half empty kind of perspective where we think everything is just nasty. And, and in fact, if, when you walk into this room and your first impression is something negative, then probably you're dealing with this faulty filter. And, and, and it's not everybody else's problem. It's, it's really yours. And so, as we look at this faulty filter, it says, I am what I am, I cannot change, I am hopeless. Um, the, the gospel has an answer to that, and, and it shatters the myth of hopelessness. And the, the gospel says that in Christ, I'm a brand new creation. I'm made brand new, and I am complete in him. A new creation, old things have passed away, all things have become new, and all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. So today, as, uh, as followers of Jesus, we have all this truth about who we are. And what I want us to do today is just to take a moment and to apply the truth so that we can live in victory. See, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul has spent 11 chapters detailing theological truth. The, by the way, the theological terms that, that we've looked at over the last four weeks, these four terms, if you just have the need to feel theological, here are some theological terms that we have, that we have exegeted and explained and explicated. How's that? Isn't that impressive? Yeah, here are the four terms, reconciliation, justification, regeneration, and propitiation or expiation, depending on how you view it. Uh, so those are the four theological terms. Uh, uh, themes that we've looked at over the last four weeks. 
Today, we're going to take those four theological themes that Paul addresses in Romans chapters 1 through 11, and, and we're going to take the application side of it. See, many of us have all the theological information we could ever need, and yet we live, defeated follow, live as defeated followers of Christ, miserable in our defeat because we don't apply what information we have. We're not a- applying it. We're, we're just living in the information, thinking, being puffed up, as Paul described it in a different letter. He said, you're puffed up with all your knowledge. And, and you and I, we sit here and we think, well, we got all this information. We must be some kind of big deal. But the truth is, we're just living defeated as defeated followers of Christ. And the reason is because you're not applying the truth that God has given us through Jesus Christ. All right. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to apply it. All right. Romans chapter 12 is Paul beginning the application process uh, of all the theology that he has uh, un- unveiled in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And so he writes Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, I beseech you or I beg you therefore as uh, uh, my dear brethren that you present yourselves a li- present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. So Paul says, here's what needs to happen in our lives today. And and the good news is that in Christ, I am entirely equipped for victory. In Christ Jesus, you and I are entirely equipped for victory. You can live in victory today. You do not have to live in the misery of your defeat. You do not have to live in the despondency of your own depressing mentality about how bad and negative and terrible and warped things are. But you, as I, as a follower of Christ, we can live in victory today. We've been equipped by God through Christ to live in victory, to live in victory so that we uh, can experience the full blessing of the gospel in our everyday life. In Christ, I'm entirely equipped for victory. And that's, that's what Paul wants us to get and then apply it, all right? So, so if, if I'm going to be entirely equipped for victory today, Paul says the first thing you've got to do is you've got to give everything that you are to God. We must give all that we are to God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God that has purchased your salvation, by the mercies of God that said, you don't have to earn your salvation, I give it to you by grace, by the mercies of God that actually drew you to see your need for Jesus and embrace Christ as Savior and King, by the mercies of God that sent Jesus to die as payment price for your sin, by the mercies of God by which Jesus poured on you the righteousness that was his so that you might have your sins fully forgiven by the mercies of God where Jesus said, if you believe in me, I will make pour out of your life rivers of living water. I'll give you new life. I will born you again. You will be brand new and you will be complete in me. This is the mercy of God awakened in us. So based upon the mercies of God, here's what we're supposed to do. Present ourselves 
a living sacrifice. To present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice means that we give him all that we are. We don't hold anything back. We don't keep little compartments in our life away from God. We're not rationalizing behavior that is inconsistent with who God is. We, we are actually giving him everything that we are. And when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, now that's an important phrase. You're not supposed to be some dead kind of thing. You're not supposed to be a deadhead. I only use jokes like that to see who gets them generationally where we are. Um, like this group over here is like, what's he talking about? And then there's a group scattered around here going, deadhead, deadhead, deadhead. I don't know. Um, anyway, so uh, God didn't intend for us to be dead. He intended us to be alive to him. But a sacrifice by nature is dead. So what is Paul talking about when he says a living sacrifice? Well, he says that you're dead to self and alive to him. That was Romans 6, uh, verses 11 through 14. We're supposed to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're supposed to be a living sacrifice, giving all that we are, holding nothing back. The reason so many of us live impotent, powerless, defeated lives as followers of Christ is because we're not giving everything we are to God. Uh, the reason we lack power in everyday life is because we're not giving him all that we are. We're holding little pieces back. We've created these little rooms in our life, and we said, this room is mine, and that room is mine, and that room is mine. Now, God, you get all the rest. We, we, we split up the days of our week, and we say, when I'm, I, when, when I'm in these places these days of the week, those are mine. But when I'm in this place this day of the week, that's yours, God. We, we divide up uh, our, our lives geographically and say, when I'm hanging out with these people, that's my time, God. And when I'm hanging out with these people, that's your time, God. And the, when we live our life scattered like that, divided like that, compartmentalized like that, make no mistake, you have destined yourself for defeat. And you might say, how do you know? How can you say that? Duh, I've lived it. The most defeated times in my life is when I pretended like I was a living sacrifice, all laid out on an altar. But really, I was alive to Eric and dead to God. And some of you are doing the same thing. You're pretending the game pretty well, but the fruit does come out eventually. And that's heartbreaking. Devastating. Impotence defeated Christian experience. Hey, you know, um, what, what is really impressive is that we think that we can somehow navigate it ourselves. That, that we can somehow, if I just get enough information, do enough church Jesus stuff, or get enough positions, if, if I get to hand out the plates on a Sunday morning, then somehow I, I, I'm going to be okay with God. And I'm going to live in victory. That's, that's such a fake. There's just no truth to it. That's you, you know that it's the difference between riding in a car and riding a bicycle. Now, all of us have enjoyed the benefit of riding in a car. 
It's an amazing thing, if you think about it, that you get into the seat of a car, you actually sit down in a car, and, and you get to turn an ignition switch, and the motor starts running, then you put the car in gear, and you get to drive. And you get to drive fast. I mean, think about it. 20 miles an hour is fast. 50 miles an hour is fast. 90 miles an hour is fun. But, but we get to 90 miles an hour. Do you know how fast that is? That's you actually going 90 miles in one hour. I mean, that's fast. Imagine going 90 miles on a bicycle. You know, we, we, we love the benefit of a car, but we take it for granted until we have to ride our bike to work. And the minute you have to start riding your bike to work, the, 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 you realize, what, oh my goodness, well, I wish I had my car. Today, we have taken the power of God for granted in our life, the power of God that gives us victory. We've taken it for granted in our life because we've talked about it all the time, and, and, and we've seen it, and we, we take it for granted, and, and, and we're like we're riding our bike trying to, trying to have victory when really all we have to do is get in the car and let God drive. Paul said, we need to present ourselves to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. So if we're going to have victory uh, in Christ, that means that we're going to give everything that we are to God. You've got to give your emotions to God. You know, you harbor your emotions as if it's your right to feel this particular way, even though it leads to simple behavior. But, but you know, it's your emotions, and so you can feel that way even if it leads to simple behavior. Well, no, you can't. Not if you give your emotions to God. You gotta give your relationships to God. You act like it's okay for you to uh, have this relationship, even though that relationship leads you down a certain path, a defeated path, and you wonder why it is you're you're living in defeat. Well, it's because you hadn't given that relationship to God. When you say, "Well, it's my relationship. I'm in love." Her. Excuse me. I'm in love. Now, that, that is the perspective of a father of four daughters. Some guy come in and say, I'm in love with your daughter. Hmm. <laughs> Just because you're in love doesn't mean that that, that that emotion is going to lead you to victory. In fact, I would contend that there's about 10% of our population that we know of that's living their life in a way they say they're in love, but they're living in defeat already because they're living in disobedience to God. They're trying to rationalize their behavior because they, they, they call it love. Well, we do the same thing every time a husband and a wife go through a marital uh, uh, situation where one of the spouses has an affair. You, can, you realize that's, that's the same thing as two same-sex couples. You realize the only difference is we have affairs in the church that we pretend don't happen. And we'll call out same-sex stuff. You, you feeling me? I mean, I, I'm just trying to... I, look, I'm not pastor of the world out there. I'm pastor of this church. And 99% of the people in these pews don't deal with same-sex stuff. 99% of the people here, y'all are dealing with other stuff. And I'm, by God's grace, I'm called to be your pastor. So we're happy to stand on truth, and we will. Mm. 
No matter what the price, we'll stand on truth. But let's stand on all the truth, not just parts of it. Y'all get me distracted because that, that was free and that, that, I don't have time for that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, we're supposed to give everything to God. And then Paul moves on. He says, if you want victory, you've got to get in the car, let God drive. That's what you've got to do. And you take your hands off the wheel. Don't try to be co-pilot or anything like that. Look, if you're trying to live your life where you're the co-pilot and God's your co-pilot and y'all are co-pilots together, make no mistake you're living a defeated life because God's not going to be co-pilot to anybody. He's God. He's either in charge or he's not, and you need to give him in-charge status quickly if you want victory. Get in the car. Let God drive, and you'll live in victory. The second thing Paul said is you need to uh, reject the world's mold. You, you've got to stop living in conformity to what the world says. You've got to stop pretending like, uh, like, like the world's mold is an okay place to live. It's not. Now, when we start thinking in terms of the world's mold, there, there are certain ideas that immediately are going to pop up in our head and in our brain. We're going to start thinking, well, the world out there, the world out there, the world out there. And I'm all about that. We need to stand strong and reject the cultural conformity that many in the world out there are calling us to. We need to reject that, no doubt. But let's make no mistake about something. It's the world in here that... God's going to hold us accountable for, accountable for first. I mean, the world in here. Anytime you and I behave in such a way that is contrary to the will of God, revealed in the word of God, we have conformed ourselves to the world's mold. So when you deceive others with your deceptive words in order to feel good about yourself, you have embraced the world's mold. Every time you, um, you uh, talk in an unkind way or, or a deceitful way about somebody else, or you, any time you, you uh, enter into a relationship that is, uh, that is contrary to what God says, any time you do that, any time you write down stuff or even think stuff about somebody else that is contrary to the way God has called us to live, make no mistake, you're, you're, you, you are conforming to the world's mold. It doesn't have to be Romans chapter 1 kind of stuff for us to conform to the world's mold. We conform to the world's mold every time we ignore what God says and rationalize our behavior that is contrary to what God says. And if we're going to live in victory, we've got to stop that stuff. You know, we've been watching... The my house yesterday, uh, Sons of Liberty was on History Channel. Love the Sons of Liberty. It's a miniseries that on the History Channel. Watched it the first time it came through. It was on like three times yesterday. Watched it every single time. And uh, Edie and I were watching it. And, and as I was, uh, the, the climax of the last um, episode, or the last uh, part, uh, miniseries part, was uh, uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Love that part. Love it. And you have, and it's, a, it's fanciful. Uh, Thomas Gage uh, of Great Britain is attacking New York City, New York Harbor, and, and uh, George Washington is going and fighting him. But before they fight that battle, George Washington is reading the Declaration of Independence to the troops to encourage them. That, that didn't happen. A lot of the stuff in there did happen. That didn't happen. Uh, but uh, I love how he read it. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the Declaration of Independence. Now, the reason is because these these guys were revolutionaries. They stood up against conformity. 
I mean, they, they did something unimaginable, and here's why. He's, they, said, they said, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. That first paragraph, you all know what that means, right? It means they... The writers of the Declaration, the Continental Congress, are saying, we're getting ready to break off from England. we got to tell you why. That's what they said. Lots of words say that. It's like one of my sermons. And then, <laughs> second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving, get this, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That when any, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing, organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes... And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Wow. All right, now listen. Can you imagine what would happen if someone were to write that today? Oh, look, they would be put in jail. They, they would be put in jail. They would be, uh, they would be castigated on public uh, forums. They would be, they would be uh, despised uh, in, 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 the, in, in the public sphere and on social media. They, they, would, they would be um, uh, villainized in every respect. That's what would happen if they were to do it, unless they had the leadership of the other states to get alongside them and say, hey, they're right. We need to do this very thing. The last time that was tried, depending on your view, is either the war between the states or the war of northern aggression or the Civil War. That's the last time it was tried in the United States of America. But these guys, they said to Great Britain, we're not going to take it. No, we're not going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. Again, some of y'all are going, what's he talking about? <laughs> the deadheads are going, yeah, that wasn't rock and roll. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> but, but here's what they did. They said, we're, we're, we're just going to reject what the world has to say about this. And we're going to, we're, we're, we're not going to take it anymore. 
Now, here's the thing. You and I are called to reject the world's mold. And yes, we are here to stand up against the cultural conformity whereby we would say that what God calls is morally right and we would call it morally wrong. Anytime we see the pattern between God saying this is the way to be and the world saying this is the way to be, we're going to choose God every single time. No matter the cost, no matter the price, that's the way it's going to be for us as followers of Christ and as the church. But in the same way, you and I as followers of Christ, we have to understand that God has said that there is a way that he wants you to live. There is behavior consistent with his character that you and I ignore every day because it doesn't fit our favorite sin. And how many of y'all have favorite sins? No, come on. How many of y'all have favorite sins? How many of y'all have favorite sins? Oh, let's be honest. Stop playing a game. You have a favorite sin. If you don't know what it is, I'll tell you. Come up and see me afterwards. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. We have these favorite sins and we'll excuse our behavior. Some of us have, have gossiped for so long about other people that we fail to realize that that's why we live such miserable, defeated Christian lives. It's because we're conforming ourselves to the world. And by the way, on the list of sins, gossip is just as bad as homosexuality. Did you hear it? We excuse it in the church because so many of our buddies are doing it. And we scream at people out there who are in darkness, who have no idea of why we believe homosexuality is a sin. And we excuse the behavior in ourselves or in others because they're our friends. Stop excusing it. You want hellfire and brimstone against the world out there, and you want soft pillows in the church in here. It needs to be reversed. Revival's not going to happen. Awakening's not going to happen until judgment begins in the house of God. That's you and me, folks. And until we adjust our behavior to fit what God says, regardless of how we feel about it, until we decide that what God wants is the greatest priority in our life, then we're going to live defeated Christian lives. I've got to preach this again. I don't know if I'm going to have the energy. So we've got to reject the world's mold. And guys, I guess my point is don't, don't spend all your time talking about that world out there. You know, oh, they're so bad. Romans 1, Romans 1, Romans 1. Absolutely, Romans 1. But don't spend all your time pointing your finger at other people Allow the Spirit of God to do His holy surgery in your heart and pinpoint those places in your life where you are embracing the world's mold. And then reject it and walk in victory. And the third thing Paul tells us is that we've got to live transformed lives and pursue a transformed life. And, 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 and again, he says, don't be conformed to this mold of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed. That's who we are. We have been born again. We have been made brand new and complete in Christ. That's what we looked at last week. We are new creation 
in Christ Jesus. We have been transformed. But what Paul does in, 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 here in Romans 12, he says, okay, you have been transformed, but you are being transformed. And there is a journey that we've got to go on as followers of Christ where we dish away the deceit and embrace the truth. It's called renewing the mind. It's, it's where we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, and we begin to see others the way God sees them, and we begin to see our circumstances and our world around us the way God sees us. It. where we, we reject the lie, embrace the truth, where we understand that I am uh, who Jesus says I am, and I need to live the way Jesus has called me to live. I am, I am not what I do. I am not what others say I am. I don't need the approval of certain others. I don't need to, to, to meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself because I am a priceless treasure. I am a child of the King. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been given victory. I need to rehearse that day after day after day after day. I am fully forgiven, perfectly pleasing, absolutely accepted. I am deeply loved by God and I am brand new and complete all because of Jesus Christ. And I need to practice that all the time. And so renewing the mind is part of the journey that we have to go on. That means that when I wake up in the morning, I need to go through renewing the mind process. And if I could give that to you quickly, this is my renewing the mind process. Uh, it's taking Ephesians chapter 10, uh, 6 verses 10 through 17, 10 through 18 and it's applying it to my getting dressed every morning. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 is putting on the armor of God. So when I wake up in the morning, here's the journey I go on. I put on the belt of truth when I put on my pants. Put on my pants, I, I remember who I am. The belt of truth uh, is a, a, a picture of the sash that uh, uh, Roman guards would wear. That, that It's like flying their colors. It shows whose they are. The truth of God should invade our lives so that we remember who we are and whose we are. We need to fly the colors of the living God. We put on the belt of truth and reject the lie of the enemy. And that means that we say, oh God, I thank you that today I, I am your prized treasure. I put on the belt of truth, and then I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And, and this breastplate of righteousness covers my chest, or really my heart. It's a protection of my emotions. It's, it's allowing my emotions not to be dominated by, by my own uh, uh, inclinations, but rather my emotions to be dominated by the living Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God. It's where I allow my affections and my inclinations to be fixed on Jesus so that, so that I'm not pursuing crazy kind of life uh, as my affections get out of whack and my emotions get out of whack. So I put on my shirt and I say, oh, Jesus, I, I want you to know my heart, my emotions belong to you today. Will you conform them to your character? And then I put on my shoes or my socks or my flip-flops or my Crocs, whatever. I put on my shoes and these are the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace and, and, and the, the shoes for the centurion were the place where stability and, and, and traction took place. It's, it's, it's where the, the soldier would stand and get ready for the onslaught of the enemy. And, and, and what prepares you and me for the onslaught of the enemy, what gives us stability and strength and a foundation when the enemy comes knocking and charging is not 
uh, the strength in our own ability, but rather it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has made us right in the sight of God. It is the gospel that, that gives me life and hope and security and, and, and identity. It is the gospel that God sent Jesus to die for a sinner like me, and I've been made brand new, fully forgiven, absolutely accepted, uh, deeply loved by God because of the gospel. It is the gospel that gives me stability every day. And so I I put on my socks or my shoes and I say, oh, Father, I live dependent upon the gospel today. And then I take up the shield and and, uh, the shield of faith. and, and, And this is, Paul says, above all, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith is, is uh, when I, I, I take uh, this, this, this stand and I say, you know what, there are going to be a lot of things that come at me today, but the one thing I know for sure is that God is working good on my behalf. The shield of faith says, I trust God more than I trust me. I trust God more than I trust you. I trust God more than I trust my circumstances. It says, I might not understand it. I might not be able to track it. I might not be able to trace it. I don't get it. I don't see it. But I believe it. God is working right now, and I'm going to rest in him. And so I pick up the shield of faith, and I say, oh, God, no matter what I encounter today, no matter what comes my way, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to hold up this shield. And I'm going to say, oh, God in heaven, I trust you. I believe in you. I might not feel it, but I'm going to faith it right now. I believe in you. And then I put on the helmet of salvation. And and that's when I'm fiddling with my hair. As I'm fiddling with my hair, then I put on the helmet of salvation. And I say, I am secure in God's rescue. The helmet of salvation affects our mind. I begin to think it is not the, the works that I've done that has rescued me from my sin. And nor will it be the works that I do that rescues me from my sin. In fact, it doesn't matter how good or bad I've been yesterday, today, or tomorrow. All that matters is that by God's grace, he has rescued me through faith in Jesus Christ. It is God's rescuing love that has captured my heart. And so I rest in his rescue of yesterday. And I know that I am saved and secure by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing, no nothing, no nothing, no nothing that anybody can do that could remove that security from me. But it's not only a salvation, a rescue that took place yesterday. It is the helmet of salvation on my head that says, God, I'm confident that you are working my rescue today. That God is working my rescue Today, in the face of temptation, in the face of fear, in the face of of foes, I can stand secure knowing that God is rescuing me. God is rescuing you today. Do you know it? You got to say it. You got to believe it. You got to pray it. You got to faith it. God's rescue is here and now. And then finally, I pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible itself. And we pick up the Bible, and like Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, and the devil came tempting on him. Jesus used the word of God and the devil went running. And that's the way it's supposed to work in our life today. We pick up God's word, not to adjust it to fit what we want, but rather to adjust our life to fit what God's word says. We take God's word and we wield it as a sword against every temptation and every uh, every foe that comes our way that the devil comes. By the way, You know that the devil is alive and well, and he's a roaring lion, he's a thief, he's a cheat, and he wants to kill you, he wants to destroy you, he wants to devastate you, and yet, as powerful as we look at the devil to be, 
God's word is ever more powerful. The spirit of God comes alive in the word of God through the speaking of God's word and I can be victorious. <sighs> but we gotta work this every day. We gotta work it. None of us are strong enough to go a day without this discipline. We've gotta work this every day. We need to give the keys to God and let him drive. Well, we need to reject the, the mold of this world. Can I, just quickly, and I know time is gone, but um, your time is gone. Mine's just beginning. Um, it, it, when it comes to this world's mold, you know what we do? When my girls were younger, we, we had a lot of babies that had diapers at the same time for a lot of years. And, and that, that was great. That was marvelous. It was fantastic. I don't mind dirty diapers. It doesn't bother me a bit. I just hate paying for the diapers. There was one season uh, when we had three of our four daughters in diapers at the same time. <clears throat> so what would happen is uh, Edie would go away and I would be responsible for the girls. And I'm confessing this. I confessed it at 930. I, I'm confessing this. I mean, there have... I, I, I'd let them sit in that diaper for a little bit too long. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I mean, you know, it's not, and again, I didn't, mind the, I didn't mind the dirty, I just didn't want to have to go out and buy some more. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they were expensive. But you know, that's wrong. I mean, how wrong is that for me to let my dirty, my daughter sit in a dirty diaper a little bit too long? I mean, that's not right. That's wrong. And here's the thing. Some of us, we're holding on to dirty diapers rather than getting them changed. We got the dirty diapers syndrome where we're holding on to these dirty diapers because we don't want to go through the renewing process of getting rid of that dirty diaper and living in the victory that Jesus wants to give you. You got to change the diaper. That's renewing the mind. Y'all need to tweet that one. <laughs> Change the diaper. That's renewing the mind. Um, but listen, it's the easiest thing in the world, greatest temptation for us as followers of Christ, to just scream at everybody else's sin and not do anything for ours. But it's self-defeating. We want to live in victory. That means that we've got to let the Spirit of God do His radical surgery in our lives every single day. So let him work, surrender, and be victorious.